another episode of Andrew's Philosophercast. Um, we've got a very, very special edition for you here. Um, for long-time listeners, it is my friend George Bull, who's going to be bringing his wisdom and experience of the ontological argument and its criticisms to us today. Say hello, George. Hello, guys. Excited to do this podcast. Very interesting subject today. So today, guys, yeah, just, just as a quick recap. We did the ontological argument the other day where I went through the basics of it. Um, remember, this is for the uh, OCR A-level course we're aiming at, but also just for anybody who's got a general interest in philosophy. Um, we're just going to quickly recap what the ontological argument is. Um, so the ontological argument is a priori argument brought forward really uh, to, to sort of prominence by Anselm. And he writes about it in his, in his prayer, The Preslogian, where it's a definition-based argument for the existence of God, where the first definition of is God is that which a greater being cannot be thought, ergo... If existence in reality is superior to existence in the mind, God must exist. A little bit more famous, though, however, is his uh, argument found in Chapter 3 of the Proslogion, where he says God is a being that cannot not exist. So all you atheists out there, if you're thinking about God not existing, you are not thinking about God. You are thinking of your version of God, not what the word God actually means. Uh, The ontological argument was also talked about by Descartes in Meditations, where he talks about God being a supreme and perfect being, where existence is a predicate for that. Um, George, did you, um, you've always told me that this is one of your, your favourite arguments. What, do you have any input on the on the ontological argument? Anything you found interesting? Well, similar to, similar to the last time when we were on about the basilisk, it's, it's, it's an idea that's entirely trapped in people's heads, isn't it? Um, you don't need to escape out of your head. I guess I've got a million of Anselm sat in a cell praying, <laughs> sort of in the same with argument, isn't it? It's a, it's a bit like a prayer, isn't it? It's just by the thought about the beyond God can prove its own existence. It's, it's quite a delightful um, little line of argument, isn't it? That's what I found, George. I think it's a, it's a lovely argument in, in terms of, with it being priori as well. Like, it seems beautifully crafted. It's like a Swiss watch. It's just, it makes total sense within its, within its own parameters. Um, I often find, though, George, that the students... Really, really. All right. Uh, I always find that the students struggle a little bit with it. Why? Why, why do you think people have got a, like uh, like a problem getting their head around it? Well, because it it, it attempts to <laughs> do the most complicated thing in the most simple way, isn't it? And often people you have to suspend sort of judgment a little bit to sort of go with it. But it, it, it's the most simple argument. But there's very complicated offshoots and it, it attempts to do the most impossible thing doesn't it prove prove the all powerful through a very simple line of argument yeah I think you're right I think it's what what the students I find have, have particular so we cover it in year 12 but I find that in year 13 after they've done religious language and everything like that and Wittgenstein I think they do better in the ontological argument because I think the, the issue that you've got is that you've almost got to suspend your experiences for you to accept the ontological argument Right, and it's it's sort of it's you've you've got to sort of admit that your understanding of God that you've built up all all through your life and your your definition might might be wrong. Or you, I, th- I think there's a lot you've got to let go of if you like the ontological argument. Anyway, yeah, I, I think though, while it's while it's good for your students, is it, it brings in mid, nearly every major philosopher you can use from Plato to Descartes to Spinoza. You can bring everyone in because everyone's had a crack at it. Go on, George. Lots of different fields of argument, set theory, uh, logic. Um, it just goes through it, doesn't it? Ontology, its own area, indeed. I like so it. it. It's a rich vein 
the student's domain, isn't it? Go on, George. I know you want to do this. Talk a little bit about Spinoza and him in the ontological argument. Give these kids something something that I haven't given them. <laughs> well, it, 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 the, the, the real point is, and this is one of the, we're going to start with the criticisms here, is um, Plato's version of God is different to Spinoza's, different to humans. Every person's version of God is completely different, isn't it? Yes. So if you think about it, what, what Spinoza, who... Uh, ultimately believes God is no different from the universe writ large um, his take on the very definition of God what he's aiming to prove is completely different so it's it just leads you down this sort of weird weird world of well what does that even mean or what does this mean when really it, it's an argument that has to list uh, rest uh, distinctly on definitions of the most basic premises I fully agree. Rest at all. Let's uh, let's speak for a dead philosopher. Let's speak on their behalf. What do you think Wittgenstein would make the ontological argument, George? Well, it's right up his street, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's um, it's the one plus two equals three type of argument, which he painstakingly well, Wittgenstein uh, level one, his first incarnation, he, he, he was all up for that writing books. Basically, not in chapters, but in sort of lines of code almost. <laughs> so he, he would have loved all this. I think it's great. So what we'll do now, uh, just for, for listeners and, and for George as well, we're going to just, maybe it's for the students, who's, I think George and I can talk a little bit while about the, the criticism of the ontological argument and just sort of, sort of, well, just have a chat about them, really. The first guy I wanted to talk about, George, was, was Kant, who, like, the, the great ironic thing with Kant is that he criticises the ontological argument even though he probably believes in God, and he does this in a critique of pure reason. And uh, ironically, he's the guy who first gives it the term ontological argument as he's criticising it. And what, what Kant seems to say is, uh, first things first, I think Kant has a go at, at Descartes' ontological argument, not so much Anselm's ontological argument. Because what Kant says, not in so many words, or rather in so many words, is that existence is not a predicate being God. So existence should be an additional qualification that you give to God. What what do you think about, about Kant's criticisms? Do you think they're any good, George? Or? So what, that existence is... Say, again, say that bit again, sir, Andrew? So what, what Kant seems to say... So Descartes says that existence is, is, a, is a predicate, is a characteristic of being supreme and perfect. Kant says it's not. It should be an additional qualification. on later on um, some people have argued that God being all powerful have every qualification so this is Spinoza so thing it, again so, so again is this, is this a little bit of a, um, a trap um, how can you how can you ration the unrationed sort of thing oh I can have this criteria that criteria but a lot of people's definition of God would have every criteria almost there is that as well I mean I, 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 I personally think that Kant's criticism is a little bit silly, but then if you apply it to something real, so like what, what we talk about in, in lessons is Winnie the Pooh. So if I was to give you a definition of Winnie the Pooh, it would be a bear that eats, eats honey and sings a happy song, and you'd probably be happy with the definition of, of Winnie the Pooh being, being that. However, if Winnie, the Pooh, yes. if Winnie the Pooh then walked in to the room that you're sat in, you'd still be shocked, wouldn't you? Because there would be this additional qualification that Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh is real. Existence. What is existence? 
and what is God. And the problem is they're such slippery concepts. Yeah. And I don't have their own little aside. So I exist in it. Winnie the Pooh definitely exists. Uh, people can talk about it. We can discuss it if you see it. Winnie the Pooh is uh, green. That's wrong, isn't it? Yeah, that's interesting, George. Uh, so, yeah. So, so, but, but, so he, he exists because he's a real character in a book and in Disney films. So that that is a form of existence. It isn't. It isn't. He's not alive, breathing. But it's a form of existence. You can't argue anything else. I wouldn't say. That's really good. I just want to. I want to. This is the bit that I really want to get get into with George because I think George is, is brilliant on on economics and currency. So I want to want to speak to, to George just just briefly now about a philosopher called Stephen Davies. Um, and I think that the point that George is, is making there about about Winnie the Pooh. And sorry if I'm wrong here, George, is that the currency of your definition is in sort of its usage, which is going back to Wittgenstein again. Now, what Stephen Davies demonstrates is like a flaw with the the ontological argument is he invents a currency and he calls them tailors, which is ironic because it's my surname. And he says, I could give you 100, 100 tailors and say that these are worth uh, £100. Pounds. Um, but you could take them to the shop and no one could, would accept them because there is no value in that currency. What Stephen Davies seems to be demonstrating is that you can prescribe any arbitrary meaning or value to God, but if that meaning or value isn't shared, there isn't a shared currency, there isn't a shared value in the usage of that word, then it's meaningless. Yeah. So, like, that's why everyone uses the American dollar, because everyone around the world, that bit of paper means something when you're in the Bahamas or China or Timbuktu, everyone will trade things for a dollar. But if you took the weaker currency, people would be more suspicious, wouldn't they? Yeah, they would. However, the dollar is still worthless, though, realistic. Like, it has no intrinsic value. Oh, yes. If, if the uh, societal norms and the, um, what backs it is, is seen as useless, um, yeah, it, it falls through the floor to the bit of paper while you're building it. So, let's, let's, let's look at sort of, let's, let's substitute the word God instead of like a currency there. If people accept that God has meaning and value, then it is then existence is there. However, if people lose faith in that word, then God doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, I'll completely agree. But I, I, when I was doing my notes for this, um, and one thing for the viewers, I give myself the challenge of, of mentioning the three G's. How are they? So. Um, What's the guy who pronounced Ganulio? The guy who criticised Anton? Ganulio, Ganulio, yeah. Right, so the, the way you can take the existence argument is the first criticism Anton was uh, his fellow monk, I believe, Ganulio, and he said about the perfect island. He does, yeah. The perfect island exists, well, that would be the perfect island, blah, blah, blah. But it probably doesn't because you endlessly argue about what's perfect, this and that. But his existence for an island different uh, existence of God is a different order of existence so we're trying to prove things using examples of money and islands and triangles and these things but God's form of existence the all powerful would be a different order so all these examples that our mind trying to grab with that sort of just fails just falls away at the end mm, very good very good I like the Gaunillo thing but Anselm's got a snappy response hasn't he he says there can only be one being that which is greater than cannot Oh, what was it? 
that which is greater than cannot not be thought. So there can only be one being. So like God's a special case, really, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I thought when I was thinking about this this podcast, I thought well, the triangle, the triangles, yeah, quite a delicious one because the perfect equilateral triangle exists as a concept. Yeah, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Yep. So you can define it. You can, we can derive things from it. But one thing I thought is, if it existed in reality, there'd always be a greater measure where you could prove it wasn't perfect. There'd be one atom out of place, one angle slightly off. You'd be you'd endlessly need a better measuring machine, and it'd just not slightly be there, wouldn't it? So it probably would never exist in reality. Are we, I would argue. Are we saying that here that mathematics sort of can't? Is it like an irrational number with pi sort of thing that, that, that it's not fit to represent pure theory? Yeah, exactly. Most numbers are irrational. They're not perfect. They're not um, not perfect numbers. Are different. They're not um, like one, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Most numbers in nature are endless streams of um, digits, um, decimals going on forever. Nothing. It's um, it's the the haystack and the haystack, or the needle and the haystack. The, the needle and the haystack is one, two, three, and the haystack, the hay in the haystack, is um, all the numbers that aren't perfect. But the, the, the point we're trying to run away with ourselves here, but the point is, what, whilst it would work for certain things like trying with a perfect argument could draw, would these things be able to exist? Because as soon as you start measuring it or looking into it, it probably would, they would probably fall away. Very good, very good. I think it's a nice sort of point to sort of um, bring this to a close where we're talking about nothingness and meaningless without end. Um, so thank you very much for listening, guys. George, do you have anything that you wanted to input just at the end there? Or? Well, I've still got my other two Gs to go for. All oh, right, sorry, George, go on, go on. So uh, one of my intellectual heroes um, was the only reason that uh, Einstein was in university, Kurt Gordo. Oh. Um, so... I guess this will be the only uh, philosophical argument that's been proven by a computer system. So going over all the codes, um, 14 axioms, um, 2016 uh, oh, team coded in the computer, and the computer proved it to be uh, verifiable, so it was uh, his version of the argument or Hegel's, but with good, or you get their own criticism, and I think we danced around this before, the incompleteness theorem. Oh, go so on. Any any form of logic, there must be something outside of that. So, um, one example is, say we drew a line round all the bicycles in the world, mm-hmm. there's still contingent in the bicycle factory, which one drawn down. So, it's endlessly has to refer to something outside of itself. So, I think Google, whilst he does provide one version of the uh, logical argument, is, 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 is greatest uh, finding the incompleteness theorem almost says, well, Whatever zone of logic you've done, I can draw something outside of that. And how could that work for an argument about God? Because he should be all things, all people, um, completely self-contained. So it's accepting does the set of all sets contain itself, and just endlessly goes round and round. Fascinating, that isn't it? So, sort of the, the uh, what we're sort of saying here is that our definition of God, it's it's never going to be complete. Side of itself, so things like the ontological argument can be criticized by 
uh, goalies and, and beat the steel because it isn't it isn't as we started this just until I'm sat in the cell thinking about it he must be referring to something outside his um, his set of logic so if Avicenna's hanging man had thought of this you'd be alright with it would you? well yeah exactly. <laughs> well with him last G okay, quickly my last one Gaskin is an interesting version of it Gaskin turns the whole argument on his, on his head um, it's about a good punchline I suppose Gaskin said wouldn't it be even a greater God to create the universe and everything if he didn't exist at all isn't that even a harder thing to do so he's saying if God didn't exist that would be even tougher thing for him to overcome to create the universe <laughs> no one thinks like Gascon no one breaks thought like Gascon um, very good George very good I enjoyed that right listeners right. I hope that's been enjoyable for you all. Um, we're going to be doing some criticisms of deductive arguments, so the cosmological argument and the teleological argument. We'll be doing that later. Um, I hope you're all taking care in these difficult times. Um, so it's goodbye from me, goodbye, and goodbye from George. And goodbye from me. Thank you very much. Enjoyed that, Andrew. I enjoyed it a lot, George. See you later. Bye.